What's up, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web design and development with a little bit of zest. In this episode, we're talking all about learning and building in public and how it might just change your career. Hello, my name is Amy Dutton, and I'm a UI UX designer and front-end developer. What's up, everyone? My name is James Quick, and I'm a web developer, speaker, and teacher. Web development and design, who would have guessed? Well, we can do them both, even add a little zest. So turn up the volume, get ready for the best. Let's get it started in this episode of Compressed. Today we are joined by two fabulous sponsors. Zeal is a software consultancy and they are hiring. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs. More from both of these later in the show. James, what have you been up to? I have had a fun-filled weekend. We've talked about you this a little bit have. before. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, we've talked about this in the past, but I am a huge basketball person, which I think you are too. And I have not played yes. like an actual game against people in over a year and a half. And I got to play pickup for the first time this weekend. And that was great. I did not shoot very well, but it was fun to get out on the court and be around some of my friends from FedEx that I used to play with. And this morning I woke up, I've been wanting to do this for weeks now after I saw a video about it, but I made ravioli from scratch and it was pretty good, not perfect. So I've got some things that I think I could do better in the future, but it was definitely good enough for me to continue to want to try some more. So that was fun. And then lastly... I started what I was calling a closet remodel like months ago. And so all the demo stuff of tearing out all the shelves and all that, that was quick and easy and fun. And then like putting it back together, I've just been overwhelmed. So today was one of the first days that I've gotten back into putting some effort into this closet. And I think I made some progress. So we'll see after a few more hours if I get close to something that I'll be proud of. We'll see. Awesome. It's uh, Yeah, I don't know. The, those are two, the ravioli and the closet remodel are just examples of me watching YouTube videos and wanting to do stuff that I've never done before. <laughs> so what all is involved in this closet remodel? What's your big vision for it? Yeah, I took off the doors a long time ago and had these big, really heavy shelves that went all the way across. It's really wide. So I took all that out. I took all of the cleats for the shelves off, like the braces for the shelves. I took that out. I took the baseboards off, which in the process, I damaged a lot of drywall because I don't know what I'm doing. And so then I went through a phase of patching drywall and trying to do that. And so anyway, I bought a big, huge, almost like a wardrobe shelf thing. It's three feet wide and seven feet tall. And that's going to be front and center in the closet. And then I'm building out shelves on the outside of it that will eventually look like it's built in. It's not meant to be like a standalone shelf. It's a whole thing. So anyway, it'll be that thing front and center and then shelves on either side. And then you can buy all different kinds of shelves and attachments and stuff to go inside of the Ikea shelf itself. So we'll see what kind of specific things I put inside of it. But yeah. Awesome. I forgot you guys got the Ikea. Nashville is on the list of potential (laughs) Ikea locations. And because we have one in Atlanta, they said... It was close enough. We'll put it in Memphis. Yeah. Yeah. So this... This is we haven't really talked about this, but and I don't know if Nashville feels this way, but Memphis has this really big like always wants to beat out Nashville for everything. And so when we got Ikea, it was like straight up like, okay, take that Nashville like we got Ikea. (laughs) (laughs) It was defeating. There is a company here in town that they basically have made their whole business about doing Ikea runs. So you can order products Mm. from them. They'll go to Atlanta and pick them up and bring them back. And then they upcharge like 10, 20 percent for that that item so we've done that before yeah 
So what have you been up to this week? Yeah, this week's been a little crazy. My son, who's seven, went with my husband to camp. And so that was kind of special for them to be able to spend some time together. So then I was running solo with the girls. They were well behaved and everything, but it just adds on another layer when you're <laughs> running solo. I tried to plan fun things. Like we went to Sonic pretty late after bedtime for them. We did a pizza party. And then I did take the girls to get their ears pierced. My parents were actually giving us a hard time about girls gone wild. (laughs) (laughs) All went and got our ears pierced. (laughs) An appropriate version of girls gone wild. Yes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we can jump into the content. I'm really excited to be talking about learning and building in public. So I know a few weeks ago, my pick, so at the end of the show, we do pick some plugs where we pick something that we are really enjoying. So my pick for the week was the Creative Elements podcast, in particular, the episode with Ali Abdal. And one of the concepts that he talked about that really resonated with me was the documenting versus creating. And I'll include a link to this particular episode in the show notes. But the interesting thing for me was it's not necessarily all about creating new content that nobody's ever seen before, but documenting what you're learning. And he was saying that that resonates with users more because you're approaching it from the same angle they are. You're not an expert saying, this is how it has to be done. You have to do it this way. But you're saying, I'm a student just like you, and this is what I've learned. And a lot of times people like that attitude a lot more than you dictating processes and workflows. It's really interesting. That was a take that I hadn't heard you say out loud, but it's also something that I've almost said verbatim recently about developer advocacy. I've now transitioned into a slightly different role as developer marketing media manager, but I've had been a developer advocate for a year and a half at All Zero and had done something similar at Microsoft. And in a talk I've given recently, I basically said people think that developer advocates, like it's this luxurious lifestyle and you travel all over the world, But really what it comes down to is you document everything and you document it in different formats. You do blog posts, you speak at conferences, you do YouTube videos, you help out with documentation, you pass off feedback from developers to product teams. And then there's community connections and all that kind of stuff. But the core of it is really documenting that stuff so that other people can benefit. Yeah. And I was reading different articles to see how different people approach this whole concept of building and developing in public. And Swix wrote a blog post. I'll include a link to this in the show notes, but just saying whatever your thing is, make it the thing that you wish you found while you were learning. And I've used that a few times when I'm creating YouTube videos or writing blog posts. And those seem to be some of the most successful successful content that I create because it's the thing that I wish that I'd found when I was Googling or the thing that I wish was explained a certain way. And I think that also resonates with people. Yeah. And Swix did an ebook on this topic and that was really successful. So I think that the specific term of learning slash or building in public, I think is one that not that he necessarily came up with, but people really started to know him for talking about that topic. And I think one of the things that you brought up That's a really good point that can lead us into how to get started learning and or building in public is exactly what you said. What are the problems that you solve? What are the things that you learn? What are the things that you've already built or you would like to build? And then just share the stuff that you learn along the way. I think a lot of people get really intimidated. And there's always that first question of I just I don't know what to write about. And every time my response is two sentences. What's the last thing that you learned? That's the thing you talk about. That's the thing that's personal to you. And I think we've talked about this before. But in content creation, I have searched for something like how do you do X with VS Code or JavaScript? And then I've seen my article or my video pop up that I did two years before. And that's like the epitome of what this is for, right? There's so many other people that are just like you that have that question. But also, even if you're the only one that sees it, you get the benefit now of having that to go back to. You can go back and see that same 
thing that you learned and refresh yourself. A good example of this for me is splice and slice in JavaScript, array methods. They do similar things, but in slightly different ways because one mutates the array and one doesn't or whatever. I couldn't tell you which one does what. And I would have to like either test it out and see the result in the JavaScript console or go and look up the documentation every time. And I have a video on slice versus splice that I can go back and refer to for that exact same reason. I think the other thing that people forget when they're creating content is that if you're a beginner and you're explaining, this is what I just learned, you remember things that Mm -hmm. somebody that's known it for years has forgotten. Oh yeah, like I forgot that people might not know this. I learned HTML 20 years ago. If I were to explain it to somebody, I would probably forget things to explain because it's so ingrained in my brain and how I think now. Yeah, that's 100% true. That's something that I have specifically struggled with at times as an instructor doing boot camps because you're teaching people that are starting from scratch. And you and I don't really remember what that's like. We can try to translate what we know now to what they're trying to learn, but we don't really know what it's like. If you're the person who just learned something, you're the best person to understand what it's like to learn that thing. And now you can translate that to something that other people can benefit from. I think one of the products that I've been really excited about now, just because of the work that they've done in the community and me getting to collaborate with them some is Hashnode. And so Hashnode is a blogging platform You can sign up for a free account and you can have your own website with a blog and you can write your blog post in Hashnode. And it's my recommended way for people to get started. If you think about documenting or learning in public, there's lots of different ways. Hashnode to me is just a great one. Having that blog, having that long-term piece of content, again, solving that problem for other people to benefit from as well is just great. So Hashnode is a really great place to start. As odd as this sounds, Twitter is such a good place for tech stuff. As soon as you learn that thing, go tweet about it. Just go share it immediately. And thinking about how little time it takes to do that, how little effort, you don't have to write a full blog post, write the tweet first. And then you have a history of things you've learned. You can go back and read those and then write a blog post later if you want. But Twitter is a great place to start just getting in the habit of sharing also. Hashnode is a self-hosted blog, but if you're looking for a place to host your own blog, look no further than Vercel. Vercel is one of our Compressed.fm sponsors, and we could not do this podcast without their support. Vercel will meet all of your hosting needs, and we're actually hosting the Compressed.fm site and my personal site, selfteach.me on Vercel. They also power more well-known sites like Twilio, but you can use them for e-commerce, travel, news, and marketing sites. You name it, they can host it. When I got ready to launch the compressed site, it was super easy. I pointed it to the GitHub repository and told it what folder my next.js project was in. And then it just worked. Ridiculous, right? But they also power over 30 plus Jamstack frameworks, including Create React App, Next, Nuxt, Vue, Ember, Svelte, Angular, Hugo, and Gatsby, just to name a few. But one of my favorite features is when you set up your account, you get your own dashboard. So here you can invite other team members to collaborate or view analytics. So as soon as I push code to my GitHub repository, it deploys that code and I can watch the build and its entire process through their custom dashboard. So be sure to check out Vercel. I'll include a link in the show notes, but special thanks to Vercel for being a Compress.fm sponsor. Yeah, and I'm kind of cheating a little bit because this is a grab bag question. But Matthias had just asked, how do you prevent your progress from becoming a whole nother job of having to deal with Mm -hmm. documenting everything? And I think one of the ways that you can do that is by tweeting about it. You only have 140 characters. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, of course, use threads, that kind of thing, but it doesn't have to be anything crazy or difficult. Yeah. 
So here's a random, not quite a rant, but something I don't quite understand. People really love threads, and then a lot of people really hate them. And I feel like a lot of people are subtweeting, which is like calling out people without addressing them by name for doing threads and gaming the system and growth hacking and stuff. But I've never understood that. If people are responding to what you're doing and you're just putting them in a format that people will respond to and they find it valuable, I have no idea what's wrong with that. That seems like exactly what it should be. You should be doing the stuff that people are responding to and that are looking for. And I think some of people's hesitation is making sure that the content is actually legitimate and valuable. But if that many people like and comment and interact and appreciate it, to me, that's value. And I've never understood. Like, that just seems... Like, I don't personally read threads because that's not what I'm there for. But what a great way to stay in a platform that you're already on and get several points of a takeaway and really learn a little bit more than just the, I think it's 280 characters now on Twitter because they updated it a few years ago. But a few years ago, thanks for the call I think out. so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, you're a little late, Amy. <laughs> Five years ago. <laughs> Has it, uh, now, now I'm curious. Let me see if I can find what year that was. Just so you can rub it in a little more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe I'm also over-hyping it, and it wasn't that long. No, it was a couple years ago. (laughs) (laughs) October 30th of 2018 is this article talking about that. So it's been a couple of years. At least that (laughs) time. Yeah, you're only Uh, only a few years behind. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I just type until it turns red. Let's just be Mm, honest. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. But I agree with you on the thread concept. I don't want to go down a deep rabbit hole on this one. But for Mm -hmm. me, I just tuck content sometimes in a thread because I Mm -hmm. want to group that together to be able to find it later. And I think also talks about who are you really tweeting for? In this case, if you're tweeting for you to document that and use that as accountability to help you learn, then it really doesn't matter what somebody else thinks in terms of whether it's in a thread or not in a thread or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, if you find value for yourself, or if other people are finding value from what you're doing, do that. It's that simple. I did read a tweet the other day that said that they felt like Twitter had changed their logarithm to not elevate threads as much. Mm. So it's kind of interesting. I'm not behind on that one. (laughs) You're up to date on that, which that is a huge potential rabbit hole of how the actual logic behind the scenes go of what gets promoted. But I think in short, if you want to get started learning and or building in public, it's very accessible. Create a Twitter account, just tweet about what you find, create a hash note account, write a quick blog post. It can be as simple as you could possibly imagine. Those are my favorite kinds. Like if I search for how to do X, I don't want any fluff. I want to know how to do X. So keep it really simple. Dev.2, you can have a free account. You can build out a portfolio or a blog yourself with any variation of technologies. That's a great learning experience. That's what I've done myself. You can join discords and Slack channels, any of those places. Just honestly, just get in the habit of the things you learn, the things you build, the things you stumble across, the things you struggle with along the way, share those so that other people can benefit for them as well. In addition to that, you started talking about one item that we got listed here in the benefits category. So I wanted to talk about the accountability. If you maybe share that you're, hey, I'm going to be working on this thing. Is that a way that you keep yourself accountable to commit to something and make sure that other people can kind of call you out if you don't get there? 
Yeah, for sure. So in episode nine of our podcast, I talked about the tech behind my website, selfteach.me. And I talked a little bit about how I soft launched the site very early, much earlier than really I was ready for. And I had a bunch of links that were broken, or maybe it would just say on the getting started page, getting started, there wasn't any really valuable content on that page. And I've gotten so many tweets like, hey, Mm -hmm. did you know this page was broken? And just different people calling me out. And I had a friend at work that very kind very kindly. It was just like, you need to fix your website. <laughs> it's time that you fix these links. And so, Kindly, but firmly. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I appreciate that. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't demeaning. Mm-hmm. But he was like, it's time. <laughs> so I told him, I said, I'm going to bug you and send you updates every day until it's 100% fixed. So I fixed all of the broken issues, but it's still not to where I want it to be. But I also, in addition to bugging him about it, I started a Twitter thread. And that that was really helpful for me in terms of accountability. I've kind of slowed down a little bit on that. But like I said, it pushed me to fix all of those broken links. And I think doing that in public and feeling like people are watching you or you've made some type of public commitment, a lot of times you want to deliver on that. So Mm -hmm. it does make a difference. Yeah. So we've talked about Svelte and Svelte Kit and the Svelte Kit crash course I did. I posted on Twitter that I was going to do that before I'd even touched SvelteKit. I'd started looking at Svelte a tiny bit. I knew I wanted to do the crash course, so I started posting about it. And especially if you do that and you start to build up a little momentum, like people are like, oh, I can't wait for it. And you get more and more of those. Then it's even harder to back out on it. From a content perspective and from a public speaking perspective, people may have heard this or maybe not. But a thing that we often do is submit talks, CFPs, call for proposals, which is a pitch for a talk that we want to give at a conference. We'll, we'll send those in and they're things that we haven't done. It's a talk that we haven't created. It may be a topic that we aren't that knowledgeable in yet, but what better way to make sure that you're going to do a good job than to set yourself up and give yourself that hard of a deadline to where you're going to go on stage and you don't want to look like an idiot. And so that's a, a slightly different example, but it's such a great way to kind of put that out in, in the world and see people's responses. One, to see if people are interested. If nobody responds, then maybe it doesn't really matter. But especially as you start to get a few more people responding and looking forward to the content, it's definitely a way to motivate you to get whatever that thing is done. Another great thing about doing everything in public is that teaching is a great way to learn. So a good example of that would be the audio player that I built for the Compressed.fm site. I've talked about this a few times, but I built it. I had to learn how to build it for the Compressed site, but then I went and created a YouTube series on that. And so that forced me to be able to put into words what I actually did. And so the code on the YouTube videos is actually cleaner than what's currently on the Compressed.fm site because I had to explain it and make sure that everything was clean. And even just going through and explaining it and talking through it, you realize, oh, I can abstract this function. I can do it slightly different way so that the code is easier to read and understand. Doing that in public made a big difference in just my ability to be able to understand what the code was doing. That's such a good example of everything we've said. One, it's a problem that you had to solve. And then you created the content shortly after solving that problem. Which means that, again, from understanding the perspective of learning how to do that thing, you're in the best position because you've done it most recently. And then also you touched on teaching is the best way to learn. So this is something very personal to me for lots of different reasons, including the fact that one of my mottos for the last several years has been learn, build, teach. That's actually what the name of the discord that you and I are in. 
And the idea is that you spend a lot of time learning stuff. You then take the things that you learn, you use it to build stuff, exactly like you said. And the last step is you teach people how to do it too. And that teaching aspect is the ultimate way to really check yourself to see if you understand what you're talking about, because it's much different when you go to explain it to someone in a video format, in an audio format, in a written format. When you have to explain it to someone else, now you're really challenging yourself to see how well you understand that topic. So this is something that I preach and preach about all the time, because I think a lot of people ask, what's the best way to learn JavaScript or a language or framework? And the short answer is really build stuff, but also build it and then take advantage of all the things that you've learned along the way and teach other people how to do it to reinforce it. And that's been huge for me. Like I said, I go back to teaching students in a boot camp. I've caught myself trying to explain something that I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with. And then I go to explain it out loud. And I stumble a little bit. I'm like, I really didn't understand this at the level that I probably should. And it gives me a little bit of a check to go off and do some extra research myself to make sure that I can then translate that, explain that to other people who haven't gotten to that point yet. Yeah, I think a lot of people are afraid to share in public because of that. There's kind of this fear that goes around it. But I think with that comes the opportunity to get feedback on what you're creating. Mm -hmm. So another example, I created another YouTube video and I was showing how a lot of times when I'm creating a folder structure, there'll be an index.js file. And all that does is import and export out the component. And the reason being, I can just reference the folder audio player. But if I have a bunch of components called index.js, that becomes hard to manage within VS Code. So my actual component code is in a file in that folder called audioplayer.js. And somebody had commented on my YouTube video and said, hey, you can just do all that in one line. Instead of saying import audio player, and then on a second line, export audio player, you can just say in a single line to export that file from wherever. And it's awesome. It works. (laughs) I didn't even know that. So that feedback, I mean, I immediately pinned that comment, but that feedback's been so Mm -hmm. valuable to me. I didn't feel like an idiot at all. And some of it was their delivery, but it was an opportunity for me to learn something new. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I think like that's the beautiful world that we live in. Obviously some of that comes with negativity and off the wall comments that really aren't helpful, but there's also just the more you're engaged with people, the more visibility you get to the stuff you do, the more feedback you have. I can't tell you how many times during a live stream, because I've got people that are watching me there before, or as I type out an error before VS code catches it, before I run it in the browser and the browser tells me this is wrong. Someone's leaving comments in the chat to say, Hey, you missed a semicolon, like whatever it is, they're there to help me out and then send me links to resources and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, the visibility there is huge. And I think there's visibility for the stuff you're doing and feedback, but also visibility for job opportunities or speaking opportunities or any kind of opportunities that are out there. If everyone in the world knows who you are and what you do, that's probably a little extreme, but there's lots of benefits that come with it. And I'm not talking like celebrity status, just awareness, people that engage with the stuff you do, that the more people that do, probably the better off you'll be. But I agree with That's a pretty nerve wracking thing. I think more and more people are becoming more comfortable with sharing and sharing lots of different things in different ways. But that fear of being judged, the fear of realizing that something you did wasn't right or incorrect or you explained something incorrectly is really tough. So I can certainly understand people being really nervous of starting to do all of that stuff because of the potential for negativity. But I really would argue and push people to say as much content as I have out there, I've certainly had negative comments, but the positivity greatly outweighs any of the negativity that I've gotten in the content that I've created. 
Yeah. And Swix's article that I referenced earlier, he had this quote that I thought was just fantastic. He said, people think you suck. Good. You agree. <laughs> Ask them to explain in detail why you suck. Do you want to feel good or do you want to be good? And I think that last part of, yeah. do you want to feel good about yourself? And that's just kind of this facade anyways. It's kind of this fake feeling of feeling good, but do you want to be good? Do you want to be challenged and encouraged and be able to write code in one line instead of two? Yep. Yeah, I, I love that for so many reasons. I think everything that you do comes with a learning opportunity. Every piece of content that you put out there, every video, every article, every tweet comes with a learning opportunity in so many different ways. And that's the good thing. I had a video recently, there was this whole like really odd scenario of someone called out the way that I explain using promise.all in JavaScript. And it got to be this big thing where I started to really second guess myself because I was really trying to take their feedback seriously. And I really kind of overlooked the fact that I was more right in the end than they were, to be honest. But I do take those seriously of that's a learning opportunity. It may be something called out that I thought I knew, but I didn't really understand. Or maybe it's something I never even heard of. But those learning opportunities are invaluable. If you can get comfortable enough with yourself to get over the feeling bad or sorry for yourself or imposter syndrome and just take all of that stuff in, it's incredibly beneficial. I do want to take a brief moment and talk about one of our sponsors, Zeal. They're a software consultancy and they design custom applications and develop primarily in Rails and React. Zeal holds a special place in my heart because as I mentioned, I work there, but I can honestly say it's the best place that I've ever worked and good news for you, they are hiring. So you could work with me. At Zeal, one of our core principles is bridge the gap. So we've noticed there's a gap in the industry between juniors and seniors. So we want to help juniors level up and achieve that next level within their career path. So with that in mind, I'm going to highlight a particular job that we're hiring for right now, and I'm super stoked about this. It's called the Software Residency. And this position is specifically for that junior designer developer that wants to be mentored, level up, and eventually become a senior. So this position is all about becoming that unicorn, uh, for lack of a better word, but it's that person that can do UI, UX, and development. So similar to a medical residency, you'll be partnered actually with me, and we'll work together on projects. We'll also be partnering with Learn, which is a coding boot camp, and they'll provide career growth and professional development through one-on-one coaching. So I think the whole setup is pretty unique. You can find more information on the website, softwareresidency.com, and of course, I'll include a link within the show notes. Special thanks to Zeal for being a Compressed FM sponsor. So one thing that I thought would be fun is to talk about some people that have done it really well that I've enjoyed watching, learning, or building in public. So another podcast that I listen to is the Software Social Podcast, and it's two women, Michelle and Colleen, and it started because Colleen wanted to create a SaaS, and Michelle was mentoring her in that process, and so they were documenting the conversations that they were having by just recording them and sharing them on a podcast. And it actually went on to win an award at MicroConf, but it's just really interesting, the whole process of her trying to come up with an idea, trying to build an audience around it. They give revenue reports each week. But Michelle then turned around and decided to write a book. And so she wrote the book in public. She did that by just sending out weekly newsletters with different chunks of the book as she wrote it. And she said for her, it was easier to sit down and to write a newsletter than to actually sit down and think, oh, I've got to write out an entire book. But from that, she's been able to get feedback and refine that. And so she's looking to launch that book pretty soon. So I was also impressed by how quickly she was able to do that. And a huge part of that was because she built the entire thing or wrote the entire thing in public. 
Catholic. So another one that I think we've mentioned on the podcast in the past is Catherine Peterson. And she created a product on a weekend that she had been thinking about doing and took a weekend to create readme.so, which is a GUI a graphical interface for creating readme files. So there's pre-configured blocks of stuff that you would see commonly in readme files, Markdown, and you can drag them onto your Markdown. You can see the source, you can see a preview. And the outcome of that was she shared about it a lot on Twitter. More and more people supported it, got eyes on it, and which meant more and more people shared it. And ultimately that led to visibility for interviews. And then she ended up getting a job at GitHub. And that's one of the best examples, I think, of learning and building in public where it starts from a genuine place of something you're just interested in doing. And it ends up being a career changing move. It's not something you can plan on. You have no idea that you're going to get that level of visibility. But by coming from a genuine place of creating and sharing, it can certainly lead to a lot of that. Another example that I wanted to highlight is Zach Wilson was a student of mine in Launch Code, and he's been working really hard to get his first developer job. And he started his Hashnode blog and started doing daily challenges on JavaScript. And I don't know what specific impact that had on him getting his first job directly, but he was such, or still is, such a great example of taking the opportunity to learn and then share along the way and forcing yourself and having a little bit of accountability for that as well. So he has now landed his first job. And I've got a couple more. I'll just kind of run through these really quickly. But Simon Hoiberg is the creator of FeedHive, and that's a social media scheduling tool. And he has innovated on his product just insanely fast. Like every time I log in, there's a new feature. The UI looks different. And it's all from him just continuing to iterate and sharing every step of the way. Next is Lori on tech. Lori and I got to meet at Kansas City Developer Conference in 2018. Maybe I'm actually going back in September, which I'm really excited about. And one of the things she's done specifically is share new JavaScript features. So as features get spec'd out in new versions of JavaScript, she shared those a lot. Her and Wes Boss are probably the two people that I see pretty consistently like sharing. Here's what is either new in JavaScript or here's what's being considered to be for getting into a next version of JavaScript. And then lastly, Chris Sev on Twitter is a good friend of mine, and he is such an amazing creator in so many different ways. But he has started a platform called Better.dev, where he's got courses with Kapehe and Lynn. So it's the three of them on Better.dev. And he just shares constantly the stuff that he's working on. And you can kind of see the iterations of his stuff from the conversations and things that happen in Twitter as well. So all really good examples of people that are building, people that are learning, and then just sharing all the things that they learn along the way on Twitter, blog posts, videos, that kind of stuff, and have some pretty cool outcomes in the end. The next segment of the podcast is one of our favorite sections, and this is grab bag questions. So these are questions that we get asked from friends and strangers on the internet alike. So a lot of times these come from Twitter or the Learn, Build, Teach Discord community. And if you want to participate, you can just tag us at Compressed FM, and they can be related to the topic or not. But we have a few related to learning in public, so I'm kind of excited to get into some of these questions. So the first question we have comes from Paolo, and he said, I'd like to hear more about it from a career changers, like learn to code later in life perspective if possible. And up front, it seems intimidating to me. 
I can answer that a little bit just because I was tweeting the other day about things that I was learning and building. I don't think that you have to necessarily be intimidated. I think if you've been, this is kind of one of my soapboxes, but if you've been in tech for any more than two years, you are self-taught to some degree. Because if you're still relying on knowledge that you learned two or three years ago, you're going to be outdated. So I think that that kind of speaks to the imposter syndrome that we're all learning together. So even if you've learned to code later on in life, we're still all learning together. Yeah. And I've said this many times. I have a four-year degree in computer science, but I feel much more self-taught than anything that I learned in college. Like I resonate more with YouTube videos than I do with sitting in a classroom and listening to a professor. I 100% agree with that. I think one of the things we didn't talk about, which I think is the perfect example, is the 100 Days of Code hashtag. It hits all the things that we've talked about, the learning and sharing in public, the accountability, and the idea is that you do something code related for 100 days and you share it. Like it, again, a tweet in 140 or now 280 <laughs> characters. You can just share really quickly whatever you built or whatever you learned or a question that you have, whatever it is. And every time I see someone post with 100 days of code that are doing that, like I have so much respect for people that are opening themselves up, keeping that consistency. I try really hard to go out of my way just at least to say like good work or this is cool or whatever, just to show a little bit of support. And I think a lot of people do that too. So 100 Days of Code, I think people see that, they respect that, they want to help you, they want to encourage you, they want to give support. So I think that is a great way to start. Again, it keeps the barrier relatively low of time commitment, really quick snippet of here's what you're doing, here's what you learn. And then hopefully you get some people commenting and supporting you and adding a little bit of excitement and motivation to the stuff that you're doing as well. Also want to end with it's totally understandable for all the reasons that we've mentioned to be nervous or intimidated by this. And that just kind of is what it is. Imposter syndrome will follow you along for a long time. It still does me in in specific scenarios. And it's one of the things you just have to work through. So I say, give it a shot, start commenting, start posting, and just go from there. The last thing that I do want to tag onto that is I think, Paulo, you would be surprised by how many people within tech are career changers. And Mm -hmm. the things that you learned, say, in a previous life will still continue to serve you well. One of my favorite examples is Sam Sycamore, and he's constantly posting on Twitter. And I believe his background is in farming, which Mm -hmm. when you think about it, it seems like the farthest thing away from tech, but it's really cool to hear him make analogies and comparisons and talk about his experiences from farming and how it does relate to tech. Yeah. In our conversations, I feel like we think we're going to wrap up and then we trigger something, which you just triggered something else. So I will now add on to your add on to my add on. But talking about skills that you may not know that will be impactful in your career, I actually wrote an article about this last week talking about this rap video that I released on the Aussie YouTube channel and how it's led to a lot of visibility for me internally. Like it's not a game changer for me, but it's more visibility because people saw something so off the wall and unique and different from what other people are doing that it stands out. And who would have thought that in my career, being able to write lyrics and record rap music would have any impact on my career. And the other example of that is when I was graduating from college and interviewing for roles, I was a double major with computer science and Spanish, Spanish being completely unrelated in the tech field, one would think. And when I was applying at Microsoft, the job I ended up getting, they asked me if I would be interested in working in Miami in the South Florida area because of Spanish. And I I don't know if I would have gotten the role if I didn't have that on my resume. That was an extra thing that made me more likely of a candidate for that particular position in that particular location. Again, a skill that seemingly is completely unrelated to tech. So I would highly encourage 
embrace your background, embrace the skills and knowledge and things that you have, and just take that with you into your learning process. And you were actually on Matthias's podcast, right? Yes. Yep. So Matthias runs Cafe Con Tech, and most of his episodes have been in Spanish. And I did an episode with him in Spanish, which is one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done. As a speaker, it's really a different, uncomfortable position for me to know what I want to say and not be able to find the words because I don't struggle with that. I talk in English about this stuff all day long, but I don't do it in Spanish. So that was one of the most nerve wracking things I've ever done. But Matias has a couple of questions in here. So I'll ask you the first one is how to differentiate sharing progress and learning in public from marketing. I'm not sure that you are necessarily different. I mean, you're almost marketing yourself in that you're talking about the things that you're learning. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it goes back to how we started the episode at the top talking about creative elements and Ali Abdal and him talking about how you should be documenting versus creating content. So here, I think if you're documenting and sharing progress, you're also marketing and that's a good thing. Yeah. And I was going to have almost the exact same response. They're not different. I think the thing to keep in mind is to make sure that you start from a place of genuineness to mm-hmm. yourself and what you're trying to accomplish. And if what you're trying to accomplish is documenting that process, sharing with other people, being a part of the conversations that people are having, that's going to show and that's going to prove out. And you can inherently market yourself, but it's not going to take away from you actually contributing to the tech community. And there's a follow-up question again from Matias. How do you actually do learning in public without being cocky? And I think the answer is the same here. Start with that place of genuineness. Start with that place of I learned something, I built something I want to share. And if you're genuine about that, it will show through. Matias is so good. He asked another question. How do you share your progress about content creation and tips and tricks in terms of learning in public? Content doesn't become another source of work besides the project that you're working on. And we kind of teased this a little bit earlier, but James, I'll let you share your thoughts on that. Yeah. Again, just doing a tweet is probably the simplest example of doing content and sharing and creating value, but not taking too much time for yourself. And I think for me, I've always focused on what I enjoy more. That's why I do videos all the time. I love the idea of having a corresponding blog post to each of my videos. Like I think that would be so valuable for me as a brand. I just, I don't enjoy writing that much to be honest. And it's kind of tedious and I don't enjoy it like I do videos. So I don't do as many blog posts. So I think if you can find the type of content that you really enjoy, Matthias, a lot of that comes from, I imagine the podcast, because you seem to really enjoy that. So that's a great way to do that. So whatever format I think you enjoy the most, and then whatever's the simplest, especially to get started and build up that momentum, I think is the way to go. Maggie Appleton is the illustrator for Egghead. So if you're familiar with Egghead style, it's very beautiful, polished illustrations. And I was checking out her website earlier, and she has kind of this digital garden concept where it's not really chronological blog posts, but you're kind of building up this garden, if you will, of different concepts. And one of the things that she has on hers, which I think is really interesting, is this idea of a budding, a seedling, an evergreen. And you can actually click on the different links for budding, seedling, or evergreen, and it'll automatically filter those posts. But the idea is that a budding post is just a thought or an idea that she had, whereas evergreen is something that she's gone back and reworked and really curated that particular article or post into something that's more long-term, something that is evergreen, and that's going to stick around for a while. So that might even be an interesting concept to look into is if you want to do a blog post about something, maybe starting it off as a budding post that you'd then go back and revisit and build off of when you have time or when you're more knowledgeable about that particular topic. 
I love that. Yeah. That's something I think you kind of mentioned to me when we were discussing my site redesign of looking Mm -hmm. at if I'm not going to be super consistent in articles, maybe I focus more on like the type of content and highlight not the order or when they were posted, but what the content is all about, which is kind of an interesting take on displaying that content for people. Yeah. So that's episode 18. If anybody wants to go back and listen to that particular episode. And we've got one last grab bag question from our MVP of grab bag questions and the podcast is developer cam on Twitter. And he asked, what do we share in public? How can we share in public? How can we deal with mean comments on the things that we share? Yes. What do we share if you're just documenting what you're learning? So that could be anything that could be, you know, a link or an article that you read and distilling the thing that resonated with you. It could be something more long form like this component that you built out and you want to explain how you built it and how you can share it. We kind of discussed a few different options, but you could do a podcast. You could write a blog post or an article. You could create a YouTube video. You could create a talk about it. And maybe for somebody that's just starting out, maybe that's a good way to start is just to do a lunch and learn with your team and might feel safer because you're around people that you work with and that know you and it's public, but not super public to the entire world. And then to answer the last question, how can we deal with mean comments on the things that we share? I think sometimes it's hard to have thick skin, but I've gotten a few mean comments. I just have deleted them. At first I thought that I should leave them around just to leave them around. But I also came to the conclusion that I'm trying to develop and curate a community that I want to be positive and uplifting. And so if I allow those mean comments to stick around, that that will invite more mean comments. And so I just delete them and move on. (laughs) Just remembering you're in charge. You're in charge. So you can get rid of them if you don't want them to be there. That's great. It's one of the things that I think it doesn't get as highlighted as much like growing an audience can be challenging for those reasons, because if you start off and you look at a percentage of 99% of your comments are positive, but you only have a few comments. Now, as you start to get hundreds and hundreds, that means more negative comments as well. And obviously they stand out because they really suck. I think a lot of the negative comments are so off the wall that it's really easy to ignore. Like you're just like, okay, I think there's no way I'm going to take you seriously. Yeah. And you kind of you can kind of laugh them off and ignore and then some kind of border the line between providing feedback that actually is valuable, but just not being very polite about it. And you can kind of take a step back and some of its cultural differences. I've had this a lot. People that speak English as their second language don't quite understand the implications of some of that wording. So they're trying to provide feedback, trying to be positive. It's just not quite coming across that way. So you can kind of take a step back See if there's actually any meat to the comment in terms of something for you to learn or something that they're actually trying to help you with. And maybe that changes your perspective a little bit. And there's things that are in the middle that are not helpful, mean, and not too off the wall to where it is like a little more personal and it's harder to ignore. A lot of what I do, like I post a lot of these on Twitter, the the ridiculous comments that I get, and I'll respond back and with a relatively positive response. And I would say for those mean ones, if you respond back in a not mean way, every time they're like, oh, and I didn't mean to be mean. I just wanted to blow. They back off of it every time. And it's so like, it's so ridiculous because it's like, don't be an ass from the start because there's no need for that. But if you bring back a little bit of positivity, which is like the cliche of the world, they will probably back down a little bit or they won't respond. So that those things happen. I think the one thing, and this goes with me just in life, is like either there's a learning opportunity for you or not. 
And if there's not a learning opportunity, if it's not something that's valuable, if there's not something that you could improve on and do better next time, completely ignore it. It's easier said than done. Like I totally understand. But I think especially the more you do content, the more eyes you get on it, the more of an audience you have. It's definitely something that you have to be more comfortable with yourself than you've ever been. And you have to be more comfortable ignoring comments out there from people that just really don't belong in the first place. The last section of the show is picks and plugs. And this is where we pick something that we like and plug something that we made. So James, do you have any picks and plugs for the week? Absolutely. So I often, Amy's probably seen and noticed this. I drink water pretty constantly. I'm actually drinking coffee now too, but I try to drink, I think it's like half your body weight is the ideal amount of ounces you're supposed to drink in water which becomes a ton more water most likely than than not you, Amy, but people in general drink. Like you just don't quite realize how much water. Um, and I don't mean by weight. That's not what I meant. I just meant the average person does not, probably does not consume whatever that number is, regardless of it being high or low. The average person probably does not consume that much water. Anyway, I'm digging a hole. But um, like, I've got... People are uh, going to come look at a picture of me. <laughs> that's, yeah. regardless of the weight the amount of water is more than most people anyway so i carry around what is a 40 ounce uh thermo flask water bottle and this was a two-pack at costco for 20 bucks and i haven't even used the second one because the first one is so great and it's a little big so it's a little bulky but it's a great way for me to track the amount of water that i drink and it keeps it super cold so it keeps it like even if i'm out playing golf or something it keeps the water cold it keeps ice all that stuff and i got it from costco originally people can check in your local costco if you have one if not, it doesn't seem like they have them online anymore. So I've got a link for the show notes that's from Walmart. So if, if people have Walmart nearby, you may be able to find it there as well. I think you love this because you I think you picked it before. <laughs> I wondered if I did. Have I? I think so. That's fine. You can do a double pick. It's fine. <laughs> this time it's for Walmart people. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if I had. Anyway. That's all right. And then for my plug, I'm going to plug the Learn, Build, Teach Discord. We talked about this a little bit. I think it's pretty fitting for this episode, the ideas of Learn, Build, Teach. So it's a pretty good community that I really enjoy being a part of. It's also grown to over 2,000 members, which is pretty hard to believe. That's really cool. So it's at learnbuildteach.com. We'll redirect you over to the Discord. Amy, do you have picks and plugs as well? My pick for the week is the Anker 60 watt charger. And this is a charger that I just bought because you can use it with your MacBook Pro or an iPad. And it is a smaller brick than what Apple gives you with your MacBook Pro. But if you use it with your iPad, it'll charge your iPad or your phone even faster. So it has a USB-C plug and a USB port on it. I've been pretty pleased with that so far. And James tried to one-up my plug when I was talking to him about it pre-show. He said there's actually an Anker charger that will save power in it so you mm. can recharge while it's not plugged in the wall. So I might double pick that if I can find a link for that. I'll stick it in the show notes. Which, have I picked that one in the past? Because if not, it's one of the best things I've ever bought. So maybe we'll throw a link to that one in the in the show notes. And then my plug for the week, I'm going to plug the Compress.fm newsletter. So we're trying to do a few things and revamp the copy there so that if you are subscribed, you're not only being updated when a new episode comes out, but you get additional content related to that particular episode. Awesome. And do we know what we're going to talk about next we do not so we will let you all know on twitter (laughs) and in the meantime that's all we got